This summer we've been going through this series that we call uh, The Divine Conspiracy. And what we've been doing is we've been looking at the Old Testament. We've been looking at this series of kings that have been uh, ruling and reigning in Israel, beginning with uh, King Saul and then going on to King David. And, and now we're, we're moving on to King Solomon. And, and this, uh, this summer we have been blessed to hear from a variety of different voices uh, within our congregation. We do that for a number of reasons. We want you to understand that there, uh, more than just the paid professionals have the ability to teach and have the gift of teaching here at Kettlebrook Church. Some people say, you know, think that only, only the people who have been through seminary and stuff like that and all that can, can be up here to teach and preach. And that's not true. We believe that God speaks to everyone in our congregation. We believe that uh, there are more than just a few who have the gift of teaching. And some of those guys are on our elder board. So I want to introduce to you Steve Farina. Steve and Martha have been a part of our fellowship for about the last five years. Before that, they were missionaries in two different countries in Central Europe. They were in Romania for several years, and then they were in Hungary. So, um, so as Steve Farina comes up, we're blessed to have him and Martha. They now lead our prayer ministry at our West Bend site, as well as Steve teaches in the children's ministry. I want you to give a warm welcome to Steve Farina. All you, all you have to do is say, Yo Regat. That's good morning in Hungarian. So just hey, let me hear you say, Yo Regat. Yo Regat. Okay. Welcome, Steve. <laughs> well, Kedbesh Seip Yo Regel Kivanok. That is. Hey. So glad to be with you this morning in Hungarian. Hey, I've got to introduce my family. Uh, this is a weekend at our house with the kids and the grandkids. And so in that back row there, uh, starting with the first young lady is our oldest daughter, Abby, and her husband, A.J., from Holman, Wisconsin. Daughter, Kasha, great with child, and her husband, Corey, down in St. <laughs> Charles. Uh, Elgin, they live in Elgin, but uh, Corey's at uh, a church in St. Charles. And then Laurel is studying up at Calvin College in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and uh, just came home after a very profitable summer ministry that she led her church in uh, there in the Grand Rapids area. So just, I was taking notes from her because she's just doing some incredible things in the neighborhood around their church. I get the privilege to talk about Solomon today. And, you know, what's hard about that is Solomon is a bit of a cautionary tale for all of us. Um, the first thing is he was, the Bible says, is that he was the wisest man that ever lived. Just an incredible man uh, of training and understanding and insight. And you saw that up there, right? You know, with the two women coming and bringing the baby. And he says, I've got to figure out, I've got to figure out who the real mom is. How am I going to do this? And his wisdom and his insight allows him to say, I got it, I got it, get a sword. And what reveals itself is the true mother puts herself forward. She would rather have the baby given away than killed. Beautiful. Wisdom. Insight. But you know, the key aspect of that is the wisdom that he was asking for was how to shepherd God's people. God had an incredible plan for his life. And the true wisdom that Solomon demonstrated is he wanted to fulfill that calling. He wanted to do it well. And so he asked God for wisdom and God gave it to him. 
But you know, as I said, it's kind of a cautionary tale because here's the wisest man that ever lived. Israel is at its zenith. Gold, the Bible says, is so plentiful in the cities of Israel during uh, Solomon's time that silver isn't even, think, isn't even considered important. Throw it away. Kick it out on the street. Don't need the silver. Everything's of gold. This is what Solomon was reigning over. An incredible kingdom. And yet, and yet, sadly, by the end of the story of Solomon, we find him walking away from God. His heart being turned away by the foreign wives that he had married. He had 700 wives, 300 concubines. And the wives kept wooing him away, wooing him away that that intimate relationship that he had with God. By the end of his life, other things had cluttered in. So that's the sad part. That's the hard part about the story of Solomon. The great part is a lot of his wisdom is captured for us in the Scriptures. And it's called Wisdom Literature. And one of my favorite books, no, I'm sorry, it is my favorite book of the Bible, is the book of Proverbs. And that's that last slide that Mike showed us, is the different Proverbs that they had selected uh, from that very book. I love that book. I love that book. One of the things that we do each year, my kids, I don't know why, but they tolerate it, is we have a memory verse as a family for the year. And this weekend, as we all got together, Abby turned to me and she said, Dad, thanks for having us memorize Proverbs 3. It's fantastic. I love it. And so today, as we're working our way through this particular passage, I want you to see the wealth of the wisdom that's still available to us through Solomon. It's magnificent. You know why? One of the reasons why Proverbs is magnificent? I shouldn't forget to mention this. It's got 31 chapters. So it fits perfectly into just about every month. And so because today's the 13th, what I would be reading is Proverbs 13. Right. And then tomorrow, Proverbs 14. And so each day of the week, each month, you can work through the book of Proverbs. And what I have found is God takes that proverb that's lined up perfectly for that day and He will give me gems of truth. Because honestly, I have to tell you, I'm kind of a naive guy. Small town Wisconsin, what do I know about the world? What do I know about people? I don't know what to do if two women came to me and were fighting over a baby. Ah, what do I do? And yet Solomon's wisdom is recorded there for me to take from it again and again and again and again. I love that. How many times have I been able to go off in the morning to work with that, Saul or that proverb I just read, one of the proverbs sticking out to me and going to work and thinking it through and meditating on it over and over again. So the book of Proverbs is amazing. And so today I'd like to do a little bit of the impossible. Oh, if you have the patience for it. If you can do this, can you show me, can you do that? It's not the Vulcan thing, which I can't do. It's this. Okay, if you can do that, I'm going to ask you to put one finger on the Proverbs chapter 3, 
which is page 442. And this thumb is going to go on our passage today for 1 Kings chapter 3. And we're going to read 1 through 15. So that's on page 234, 234. So you put your thumb there at 1 Kings. And you put your finger at Proverbs 3. And that's where we're going to start. Okay? And if you will allow me, we're just going to go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Okay? Good. Let's, let's read that together then. 1 Kings chapter 3, page 234. The Bibles are underneath your chair if you need one. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married his daughter. He brought her to the city of David until he finished building his palace and the temple of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people, however, were still sacrificing at the high places because the temple had not yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the statutes of his father David, except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. The king, Solomon, went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, ask for whatever you want. Ask for whatever you want. Well, I want a new car. Well, I want the life of my enemies. I want, I want, I want. Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, Oh God, you have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him, undeserved, and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, O Lord God, you have made your servant, me, Solomon, King in place of my father David. But I'm only a little child, and I don't know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. Way to go, Solomon. So God said to him, Since you have asked for this and not for long life, not for wealth for yourself, not for a new chariot with chrome tires, chrome wheels, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never, never be anyone like you, nor will there ever be a king like you again. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for. I will give you both riches 
and honor so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if, if, if you walk in my ways and obey my statutes and commands as David your father did, I will give you long life. Then Solomon awoke and realized, hey, it had been a dream. So he returned to Jerusalem, stood before the ark of the Lord's covenant, and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. And then he gave a big party, a feast for all his court. Let's pray together. Jesus, this passage is very rich and it's complicated. And I just pray, Lord Jesus, that you would give me your words, that I wouldn't get in the way of what you want to say to these dear people. And I pray that you would prepare each of our hearts for what your word has to say to us today. So grateful to you. So thankful. You are very good to us. We bless you in your name. Amen. All right, so where have we come from to be talking about Solomon? We started with Saul. If you remember, Saul was kind of a basketball player. He was about 6'6". He towered over all the people that were of the people of Israel. And yet the one problem that he had is he just couldn't do what God asked him to do. Do this. Uh, No, I'd rather do it my way. Okay? That was Saul's song. And so God said, you know what? Saul's not working out. He's not following what I'm asking him to do. He can't be king anymore. He can't rule over the kingdom. So he moves on and he chooses David. Now when David was anointed, the youngest of eight brothers, he was only about maybe 10, 11, 12. So in front of his other seven brothers, they anoint him and they say, you will become king. And he went back to the sheepfold to watch the sheep. And he must have been daydreaming about, what is that going to be like? And for the next 20 years, he was on the run like a bandit, hiding in caves, running away from Saul. And can I just say this? Saul wasn't a mistake. Saul's disobedience was the perfect proving ground, the perfect training ground for David. And can I say this as well? That waiting, waiting is a characteristic of the godly. That David had to wait 20 years and go through those incredible trials till God had prepared his heart to be the king of kings over Israel. And so I wonder about you. Something that you're praying for. Something that you've been asking God for. Something that you've been waiting and waiting and waiting for. May I say this? Waiting is a blessing of God honoring you. Those who He's preparing, so often He makes them wait and wait and wait. So let's see what David accomplished. Gary, if we can look at that first slide, let's look at the map. Uh, It's kind of small, but you see the pink 
is what they were before. They were this group of 12s, this rough confederacy of 12 tribes. And within a 20 to 25 year period, David had conquered this whole area. He had subjected the Edomites, the Moabites, the Ammonites, those up in Damascus, the Amra, the people, the Arameans, thank you, Sidonians, Tyre, Philistia, all these enemies that kept troubling and coming against Israel. David conquered and subdued, and it was peace and quiet. Fantastic. Fantastic. And now David has moved on and died, and Solomon has become king. And our Action Bible showed Solomon, you know, buff, working out at Planet Fitness, about 37, 38. I don't think so. And I think in our text right now, he's maybe, maybe 20, maybe 21. He's got all this area to rule. He's got all these different uh, people that are under his lordship now. And he's also got this responsibility to govern all of Israel. And he's saying to himself, how am I going to do this? How do I follow in my father David's shoes? How is it possible? What am I going to do? So we get to our story. And one of the first things, if you look at verse 1, is that Solomon made an alliance with the king of Egypt. Now, what's the problem with that? The problem is, is that back at the time of Moses, Moses has written and said, you shall not marry the daughters of the people who are in the land. And Solomon is making an alliance through marriage outside of the country. It seems like he's practicing a little bit of a spiritual, or I should say a political expediency. Well, the, Israel, the, the Egyptians have a huge army. The best way that we can make peace, I marry the daughter of Pharaoh, she lives here, they'll never attack us. It'll allow us to remain an empire. It'll allow us to build my house, the temple for God, the wall around Jerusalem. So here's what we'll do. We'll make this political alliance. Whoa, 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 wait a second, Solomon. The Scriptures teach that you shouldn't make those kind of alliances. And you can almost hear the counselors around uh, Solomon saying, it'll be okay. You're marrying not the people from within the land. The Egyptians are outside of the land. We can skirt around the law that way, the law of Moses. Expediency. Political expediency. Next thing. We see him. The people, however, were still sacrificing at the high places because the temple had not yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon showed his love for the people, for the Lord, by walking according to the statutes of his father David, except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. The king then went to give in to offer sacrifices. 
Moses had expressly said, you will not do this. When you go into the land of Palestine, you will tear down every altar. You will tear down every false form of worship. You will obliterate it. You will destroy it. You will not emulate what they are doing. Now, when Abby and I, or when Abby was about 13, we went on an adventure with Dad to Israel. We did an archaeological dig. And we were working at the place where, uh, the city where um, John and Andrew uh, had been born, Beside. And so we're digging in the rubble there. And I started asking the archaeologists, I said, what's this thing with the high places? What is that? And he said, well, ancient peoples would look at the tops of mountains, the tops of hills, and they would consider that the walking place of God. And they would also put at the entrance to the gate, they would put like a small kiosk kind of up on the wall, a high place on the wall where they would put fetishes and their worship articles and so forth. And so there were these these places that the Israelites, as they moved in, were supposed to wipe out, tear it down, smash it, get rid of it. And as we see in Solomon's time, they began to appropriate those places and say, no, no, what we'll do is we'll worship God in those places when expressly they were told not to. And so there becomes this blending, this blending of the worship of God and the blending of the pagan practices. And it blends and it blends until eventually it becomes a stumbling block for Solomon and for the entire nation. Now, that's, two, that's one millennia before Jesus. We're in the 21st century. What does that have to do with us? And I want to challenge you and say that in our culture, there are so many different gods to worship. So many things that you take God off the throne and you put that thing on the throne. Maybe it's comfort. Maybe it's, if you're like me, it's what you want. I want what I want. I want to be independent. You're right, Mike, this thing does fall off. So, (laughs) independence. When Abby was a two-year-old, I told her, you have to hold my hand while we cross the street. She said, I hold my own little hand. Well, she didn't get that, learn that someplace. She got that from me. Independence. I'm going to do it my way. That's my God. And so I mixed the worship of God. Oh, yes, I love you. I love you, O Lord. And yet, mix my desire for independence, which seems to be the greater God on the altar. And suddenly I've got to mix together. And suddenly I'm worshiping my independence or power or control or comfort or money or time or possessions or whatever it is. And I want to challenge you about searching your own heart and asking God, what is it, Lord God, that keeps me from embracing you with all my heart and all my soul and all my mind and all my strength so that I love you and only you 
And I don't mix it with all the other things that are available to me. Do you think it's any surprise that in West Bend we have Paradise Road? We live in paradise. I lived in the armpit of Europe. What we have here is so amazing. And it's so easy to say, that's going to be my God. That's going to be my God. Thanks, Jesus, but I'm going to live in paradise. Spiritual expediency, political expediency. Now we want to talk about God meeting with Solomon. Look at verse 5. Ask for whatever you want me to give you. I can't get my head around that. I can't believe it. Why would the God of the universe, He who created all things, why would He lower Himself to Solomon to say, I'll give you whatever you want? How often do we talk about that as a group? You can't treat God like Santa Claus. He's not the tooth fairy. And here He is saying to Solomon, Whatever you want. Whatever you want. Now, to Solomon's credit, he understood this one thing of what God wanted. God wanted his nation to be a kingdom of priests. Can you imagine what that would have looked like if they had stayed with that, if they had done that? Think about it. People being equal. People in a divine relationship, a personal relationship with God, a kingdom of priests such that they didn't need a king, they didn't need a central government, all they needed was to be under God. Wow! What a utopia that would have been. And that's not just in the Old Testament, it's in the New Testament too. That's what God looked at and sees when He sees us as the church. People in a wonderful relationship with God, acting like priests. Because our relationship with God is so intimate that the people around us, we're reaching them. We're introducing them to the Lord Jesus. That was God's eternal plan. A personal relationship with a group of people. From the Old Testament to the New. Unbelievable. And Solomon is thinking, I don't want to screw this up. I don't want to screw this up. So the first thing that he recognizes is God's loving kindness for him. Now in this translation, it says twice, your great kindness. But Gary, I want to look at the definition for loving kindness. There it is. There it is. This is the word in Hebrew for us, loving kindness. And I want you to think about it for me, with me for a minute. I put in the periods so we would stop with each idea. It's kind of a little bit of meditation that we're going to do corporately. But look what this idea is of loving kindness. God's love. God's deep, passionate love for you. Deep abiding love for you. For me is unwavering. It never changes. If you had a bad day, God did not. His love for you is still effusive. Still being lavished upon you. It never changes. 
And it's kind. It's kind. And gentle. Every moment of every day for all eternity because He never changes. So it doesn't matter how you're feeling. doesn't matter what you've gone through with the different circumstances. His love and passion for you, it never changes. It is profound. And to his credit, Solomon understood a taste of that. And so he says it twice in verse 6. Your great kindness. Then in verses 7, 8, and 9, he calls himself the king. Is that what he says? What's it say in 7, 8, and 9? Is that what he says? The king? No, he says, your servant. Oh God, I am your servant. And if the king, the greatest king of all time, can say that to God, you and I certainly should be saying that. I am your servant, O Lord, wherever you send me. If it's school, if it's work, if it's leisure, oh God, I am your servant to fulfill your plan for my life in that place. Your servants. I don't think it's a coincidence to see that when the apostles wrote their letters, you go through and you see how many of them call themselves bond servants of Jesus Christ. Bond servants. I'm in bondage to the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, I have my greatest freedom. Solomon understood that. Solomon understood that. God's great love for him. His service. And when he bowed his knee to God for the service, that meant he was willing for God's calling on his life. And his calling was, you shepherd my people. You teach them how to be priests who walk in my counsel, who love me completely. And God was pleased. Because the other three things that God mentions there in uh, verses 11, since you have asked for this, and not for long life, not for wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies. What's Solomon asking for? Long life, lots of wealth, death of my enemies. What's he asking for? Give me comfort. I don't need you. I'm going to worship at the altar of comfort. Oh, comfort. Long life, I won't have to worry about you, God. Not till I'm 70 so. And then we might talk. Wealth, I can do whatever I want. Buy whatever I want. Take those fancy vacations. I don't need you. Death of my enemies. Then I don't have to worry. I don't have to look over my shoulder. Who might be stalking me? Who might be after me? Who might want to take my throne? I'm secure without you. And as I said before, David's great training ground as king was being put out of the desert where his life was at risk every day. Where he could have said, Oh God, you are great, but you've made a tremendous mistake. 
Solomon didn't ask for that. I want to do and fulfill your will. Let's go on. I will do what you have asked, says God. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never be, have been anyone, any king like you, nor will there ever be again. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor. Can we look at that slide, Gary? I'm afraid I've skipped ahead. I asked the people to keep their thumb on Proverbs 3, but we haven't even got there. Oh, go one more. Uh, yeah, let's start with this one. Proverbs 3. Blessed is the man and woman who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding, for she wisdom is more profitable than silver, and she gives back better than the returns of gold. She is more precious than rubies or jewels or anything. In fact, nothing. Underscore it. Highlight it. Nothing. What does nothing mean? It means nothing. Zero. Nothing. You desire compares with wisdom. Nice choice, Solomon. Way to go. That's great stuff. That's the stuff of God. Nothing you desire. Say that to yourself the next time you're searching your heart and you're like, what do I want? Oh, I crave, I need, oh, I need security. Oh, I need a new car. I, oh, I need this. Nothing you desire. Nothing you desire compares with her. Next slide, Gary. We're rolling. No, got to go to the next one. Sorry. There it is. Long life is in her right hand. Remember, my point is we're talking about God giving to Solomon what he didn't ask for, right? Well, here's Solomon telling you what wisdom, what the fruit of wisdom is. Long life. Amen. Amen. Long life. I want to live a long time. Is in wisdom's right hand. In her left hand, left hand, are oh, riches and honor. Oh, wait a second. Am I saying that you'll get rich following God? Am I saying that? I don't know. He might. He might make you rich and me poor. Or vice versa. But I know this. Solomon also wrote in Proverbs 10:22 he says I will make those who I wish rich and I will add no sorrow to it it's the lord who makes rich and he adds no sorrow to it whoa wisdom brings riches and honor her ways are pleasant ways. Paradise. I'm living on paradise. And all her, all, all, all her paths are peace. Oh, rest in wisdom. 
She's a tree of life to those who embrace her. We're tree huggers. Yes. And those who lay hold of her, the, the better translation I think of that is will never want. They're blessed. They'll never want. Oh, good stuff. So God's going to give back, even though Solomon hadn't asked that. He's going to give more than Solomon asked for. That is so consistent with God's character. He gives and he gives and he gives until there's a great overflowing. That's his generous nature. That's who he is. Let's go on. Verse 14. And if, critical word here, everybody, this is kind of the conclusion, if. You've got to put your name in here because it's not and if Saul, and if David, and if Solomon. It's and if you, and if me. This isn't God's if. We've already talked about that. He never changes. His love for us, His concern for us, it never changes. This is our if. And look what He says to Solomon. If you will walk in My ways and obey My statutes and obey My commands as David your father did, if you will choose Me for all of your life and persevere, I will give you wisdom and a long life. And you will well shepherd my people Israel. If, I've got to ask you, if, what's the finish of your life going to be? Will it always be persevering, holding on to Jesus, clinging to Him, taking Him from start to finish? Or will things begin to worm into your life such that, well, I, I love Jesus, but I love this too. And now I've got to have it. And now I've got to have it more. And be like Solomon who eventually turned his back on God and was clinging to things that were foreign from God. What's your if? Saul had if and failed. David had if, messed it up with Bathsheba, messed it up in other ways, and yet still came back with repentance and say, oh God, oh God, to the very end. Persevered to the very end. Solomon, wisest man that ever lived and turned his back on God. Well, I don't want to finish negative, so let's go to that last verse, 15. And he returned to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the Lord's covenant and sacrificed burnt offerings. Can we have the last slide, Gary? And then he gave a feast. My favorite idea of a feast is this photo with the who's. It's a party! People who choose wisdom, people who choose God, don't go around with long faces. Oh, I love God. It's a party! Every day. Psalm 16 says, In His right hand, God's right hand, are pleasures forever. 
in his left hand is fullness of joy. Man, that's what I want. And the people that you work with or go to school with, they want it as well. That's why they're walking around like this. That's why they have the Olympic sport of complaining. I have never heard such great complaining except here in Wisconsin. Well, maybe no. The Hungarians are pretty good at complaining too. But with God, it's a feast every day, filling my soul, making me joyful, helping me to fall more deeply in love with Him. Because He's so good. And that's why we're going to look like this. And that's why we're going to have joy. Because of the continual feast that we have in His presence. All right, you know what? I forgot to show you the definition for wisdom, so I want to go back to that and finish. Gary, let's go back to that. There it is. So what is this thing, wisdom? What is it? And this is what I propose to you. Wisdom is thinking what's going on up here, what's going on here, acting, and speaking what's coming out of my mouth. All of it shows as if God exists. The absence of wisdom does the exact opposite. Proverbs, or, uh, sorry, Psalm 14.1 The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. The fool in his heart says there is no God. The difference between a fool and a person who's wise, sorry, I won't point at me because I, I it doesn't apply to me. I'm not that smart or wise. It's what I think and act and say here with you nice people, I do at work as well. Nothing changes. God's here, God's there. God's with me in the shop. God's alongside of me. He's my co-pilot while I'm driving on the road. So there isn't this. What's wrong with you? How I think, how I act, what I say out of my mouth is always in reference to there being a great God who is watching over me and He will hold me accountable for every single thought, every single word, Every single action. So wisdom for me is to act accordingly. And that's what Solomon did. You've been so good this morning. You've been so patient. Let's pray together and finish. Jesus, I just can't get enough of you. I just thank you so much for your goodness to us that you lavish, lavish, lavish upon us your goodness that your loving kindness for us is new every morning, that it never changes. And we're so grateful to you for that. Teach us to have the wisdom of Solomon. But unlike Solomon, to follow you to the very end, to cling to you, and not to let anything mix in with our passion and devotion to you that would cause us to turn our back on you and walk away. Oh, Jesus, you're so good. Thank you. And bless these precious people today. In your name we've asked. Amen.